It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week, we look at some sports topics of local interest, uh, maybe a national topic or two. I think we've got one this week. Uh, we've got a betting segment uh, getting even more and more prevalent with Ohio uh, on the verge of, of having gambling here towards the end of this year into 2022 and some Ask Skinny Anythings. And I've been told that there is a dark question that I have to uh, to answer. To, to I'm, I'm looking the forward darkest to we've what, ever gotten on this show. I yeah, will say that's, that. I, that scares me just a little bit. But way uh, beyond but the ghost sex pale, way beyond yep, anything yep. we've really ever done before. This is this is dark. It came from a friend of the show. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. All right, so there we go. Very good. All right, Rick, got lots to get to. Hit it off. Well, Skinny, the weather is good. The Reds right now are even better. They took down Milwaukee on Wednesday afternoon, 2-1 to one, to complete a three-game sweep of the second-place team in their division. With a Cubs loss later in the day, the Reds moved to just two games back of first place. Cincinnati has won six straight games, eight straight road games, and 12 of their last 15 overall. What's impressed you most about this run by the Reds? I think the starting pitching and, and if you even go back to that series with Milwaukee where they lost the two of three, um, you know, you got a great start from Luis Castillo in one of the games you lost, you know, gave, gave up just the one hit and then the bullpen came in and kind of uh, kind of opened the floodgates a little bit. I think that was the, the, the game three of the three game series, uh, the rubber game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- this has been a consistent run going back to that sweep of the, of the Cardinals into Milwaukee into this, you know, sweep uh, these last two sweeps where you've had almost, 12 days in a row of just really good starting pitching. You can do a lot of damage when that happens. Well, I I think it has to be the entire pitching staff too, because the bullpen as terrible as it was, and it's been for the last two weeks or so they've, they've pitched well. I mean, they've gotten themselves out of some jams. They've, they've kept the team in games. It's, it hasn't been the disaster that we were all talking about just a week or two ago, but 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 I wonder, Rick, if it's this and and yeah, there's been a couple of times when, when some of the starters haven't gone into the six. But I think the deeper you can get your starters, right? That helps. Um, the the more well, I think the more it it I don't want to say defines roles for guys in the bullpen, but it just allows. I think just think it allows them to to know when they're probably going to pitch, as opposed to suddenly it's the third inning, a starter's getting lit up, and you're throwing some guy in there, and it messes up the whole the whole process. And some of it is some guys are pitching to the back of their baseball cards a little bit too. And that helps. And it's been so strange because a chunk of this has been done without TJ Antone. I mean, you lose your best bullpen arm and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, this bullpen sucks with, with him. How bad is it going to be without him? And they've stepped up. Well, and, and that's kind of my point right there. I mean, we, we were talking about just two weeks ago. Hey, what is David Bell supposed to do? He's got a bunch of double A and triple A arms right now in his bullpen. And he's got no shot. Even when they do all the right things and they hand it over to the bullpen in the sixth, seventh inning with a lead it feels like they don't have much of a chance of winning those games unless it's a a blowout at that point they have gotten past that point in a hurry now who knows how long they'll stay here but you're right the fact that they were able to figure this out without Antone you get him back you get the starters continuing to pitch well where the roles are a little bit more defined like you said all of a sudden you don't feel nearly as hopeless and as worried when you do have to turn it over to your bullpen but the starting pitching like you mentioned has been outstanding. Tyler Malley is giving me some confidence about the top of the rotation. No doubt. I mean, no question. Because this I, is becoming an extended period now. I mean, even if you go back to last year, what he did, right. his numbers now for almost, a, not a full season, but what he did last year in the, the start of this year, pretty darn good. 
Yeah, and you've had back-to-back really superb starts from Luis Castillo. Hopefully that shows he's turning the corner, you know, hopefully not too long before you get Sonny Gray back and you're replacing Tony Santillan with, 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 uh, with Sonny Gray. And then you look at that rotation top to bottom. If Malley continues this, I feel good almost every time out with, with what you've got on the mountain. And that includes when Vladimir Gutierrez starts. He's been really good. Well, he's been really fun. You obviously wonder how long that's going to last. But if nothing else, he seems like one of those bulldog competitor types. I mean, he seems like he's going to stay in the game, grind you, give you some innings. And uh, he doesn't seem like a guy that goes out with his gas can and gives you up seven runs. The other thing that's really great about this team, and this has been the case all year, they just hadn't even come close to getting the pitching, is this offense hides some imperfections on the mound. Yeah, sure. You don't have to be perfect. Like, And my, my big concern is, with a terrible bullpen for most of the year and a a rotation that let's face it at the top, you don't feel better about your ace than most other teams aces. That feels tough to win big games, big series. When you, when you face teams like the Brewers or the Cubs, I was concerned about, you know, will the Reds be able to pull off multiple wins in a row like that? But when you all of a sudden have Tyler Malley pitching like he's been pitching and if Sonny Gray gets back and, and returns to form and can give you a 1A, 1B type of guy, and Castillo starts pitching like a top of the rotation type of guy, now all of a sudden you do have three legitimate arms that every time they take the mound, you feel like you've got a chance. And it's not just 34-year-old Wade Miley you know, spinning the ball around and getting weak ground outs and stuff like that. It's guys that are throwing 98 and humming it up there and, and have some potential and that are doing pretty well. So again, Mally, the way that he solidified himself at the top of this rotation and has been steady for this extended period of time really makes me feel a lot better about the top of this rotation, especially if you can get Castillo back consistently. And I'll be honest, I, I like the pieces of hitting that you got yesterday. I mean, Naquin takes the ball the opposite way for a, for an RBI double. Barnhart takes the ball the opposite way for the RBI double that, that gave them the lead. Um, you know, this isn't the, the team that you saw last year that seemed to be every guy swinging from their heels. And, you know, Tucker Barnhart with the big uppercut. And he obviously talked about, you know, he's talked about it, changing his swing from last year. And it came in very handy yesterday. And, and uh, you know, you can argue, well, the Reds didn't do much offensively the last couple of days. That's, that's a good pitching staff. They faced in Milwaukee. And because of your pitching staff, you were able to eke out, you know, two wins, two huge wins to keep the ball rolling. So um, I, I'm, I've been bullish on this team for a while. Um, you know, I, I think I, you know, when I wrote that column, whatever it was about a month or so ago, it was a matter of, you know, getting Luis Castillo back on track, getting Suarez back on track, um, you know, getting Sonny Gray back on track. Uh, you know, that, that, that to me is, 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 is the big part of it. And now you're starting to get some guys healthy. Um, I don't think Tyler Naquin's going away. I, I mean, I, honestly, he, he leads his team in RBI. Um, we're now two months into this season. I don't feel like this is going to be a, um, oh, who was the guy from a couple of years ago that everybody fell? Derek Dietrich. Dietrich. I don't think this is a, I don't, I don't feel this is a Derek Dietrich situation. I think this guy's a, a pretty legit, you know, I don't know if he's a complete middle-of-the-order guy, even though he's batting cleanup right now. He's probably a, you know probably best suited as a six-hole guy if Suarez gets back to being hot. But he certainly filled that gap for, for Suarez and allowed him to kind of hit down a little bit in the lineup and take a deep breath and try to try to get himself back. And little by little, he's done that. Well, and the great thing is they don't need Naquin to be a middle-of-the-lineup, continue on this tear, and be a consistent, everyday type of guy. Just the contributions he's giving them is way more than you expect or need because of the consistent offense they've been producing all year. That's the, I mean, that's the difference. Like that team was kind of relying 
on guys like Derek Dietrich and guys that were playing right, above their right, level. This right. team isn't doing that so much. If you believe, at least if you believe in Castellanos and Jesse Winker, which I think at this point, most of us do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to finish over a thousand OPS for the year. That's I fair. don't think they're, I don't think that's they're going to. Yeah. But I also don't think they're going to dovetail into the 800s either. I mean, right. I, I, I mean, I think most people see those years. guys as legit. And everyday starter type guys that are, no are question. have solidified themselves. Vado since his return, it's been eight games now. He's hit three of his eight home runs since he's come back. He's got 12 of his 29 RBIs in those eight games. His OPS is way up during that stretch. I mean, his batting average and on base percentage isn't crazy better than it was, but it's, it's definitely improved. Do you think there's something to this? Vado is like, starting to feel it and return to his old self a little bit? Or is this just, hey, he had a couple of good games and good for him? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the latter. And, and you know, um, he's talked about trying to hit for a little bit more power. And so, you know, maybe he is going to sacrifice some on-base percentage for some pop. I'm good with that. Um, I don't I don't, I don't, don't need Joey Votto to be the Joey Votto of old because I don't expect that. Nobody should. Um, age is not going to allow you to do that. But if he is going to certainly put up better numbers than, than the group that was playing first base, the Mike Freeman, Alex Plandino, um, Kyle Farmer on occasion group, which he should – then yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm great with that. And, and so I, I think there's a little combination to it, but am I expecting Joey Votto to, to hit, you know, 320 the rest of the year with another 25 homers and uh, a 900 OPS? No, I, I, I don't think that, but you get me in the high sevens for him. I'm going to, I'm going to have to take that. I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I think so too. And Votto had talked about wanting to be one of those guys again, that when he gets up to the plate, people are like, oh man, you know, he has, I, this guy has some pop. He's wanted to be like a feared hitter again, I think is kind of the way he put it. And I will say that's the difference over the last week plus since he's been back is when he gets up to bat now, I'm thinking he's dangerous at least. Right. And for the last few years, I haven't felt that way about Joey Votto very often. It's been a lot of, at best, he, you know, he slaps the ball the other way occasionally or, or uh, takes a walk. But there's been very few times where you're worried about Joey Votto really driving the ball consistently. Right now, he feels dangerous when he goes up there. And that's, if nothing else, it's been fun to see during this little stretch to see him turn back the clock a little bit and and hit the ball with some power and drive it and having fun when he scored from first the other night against uh, I mean, the Brewers. Well, the one, that, that was pretty yeah, cool. The one, the, yeah, the one yesterday, I mean, I give him a lot of credit. He does. He, he's never run the bases great. He's never been a bad base runner, but he's not, he's not a fast guy by any stretch. I mean, honestly, his hustle got him that run. I mean, it really did. I, he, he determined when that ball was off the bat, he was scoring from first base on that double. And um, that determination, uh, you know, gave them the run they needed to win the game. So kudos to him. Yeah, I think kind of wrapping this up, it's fair to wait, be waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit with this team. You know, just the last few weeks, we were talking about the holes they had. We were discussing whether or not it was realistic to want to go out and get more pieces to add to this team and try to make a run with them if they could really catch the top of the division. Obviously they've been able to do that. And I will say timing is everything with this run. You know, they've chose the perfect time. The Cardinals have completely fallen off the map at this time. Well, they are obviously well, playing they, they, against they did, the Brewers they, a few times and right. The but the Cardinals, the, hang on the car. Yeah. But then the Cardinals now they, they just swept uh, Miami. So that, you know, they kind of bounced back from that red series. So, right. Right. But, um, but I mean, you know, but even before that, the Cardinals were on like, what, a six or seven games losing yeah, streak at yeah, one point. So yeah. the, the, they have come down and, you know, actually they're behind the Reds at this point. Right. They're. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. So, I mean, the, the Cardinals have 
they had a bad stretch, and that's right when the Reds started to take off. Part of it was the Reds playing against the Cardinals, but they follow that up, obviously getting to play the Brewers. So they picked the right time to get hot. They're playing two in-division rivals, and the Cubs lost a couple of games for them as well. They're right back in the thick of things, which is all you can ask for if you're a Reds fan. Yeah, no, no, no question. And, you know, they maybe are catching San Diego at the right time, too. We'll see. I mean, go out there, get a split and, and be happy with it. And um, if you'd have told me that they would go five and two this week against the Brewers and, and Padres on the road, I'd say there's no chance. And yet all they have to do now is go get a split. Yeah. You, I mean, you said it. You needed to see more from this group before you're going to believe, before you're going to start talking about those other storylines and things. And they're starting to show us more. I mean, this is it. This is what we were looking for. Make that run. That proves you can contend with the top of your division. And then we'll talk about that other stuff. And they've done that now. Yep, no question. All right, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor said on Tuesday that second-year offensive lineman Hakeem Adeniji had surgery last week for a pectoral injury and that Adeniji wouldn't be around for a while. Adeniji started three games at left tackle, one game at right tackle, and one as the second tight end last season. He played in 15 games total. It's possible he could miss the entire season coming up. Skinny, how big of a loss is this for the Bengals? It's not huge because he was probably going to be the swing tackle, but it's probably going to make them in the market for getting another tackle into training camp. And it puts, I guess, the onus a little bit on Fred Johnson. They do have Isaiah Prince, who opted out of last year, who'd probably be in the mix um, as a swing tackle. I, I, I think the unfortunate part is um, I think Akeem probably was going to be in the mix to be the, the main swing tackle. And let's face it, with Jonah Williams' injury history and Riley Reef's age, um, I, you know, I, they're not playing 34 games combined, those two. So you're going to have to have somebody step in for a handful of games. I do feel good with Fred Johnson at right tackle. I know everybody laughs at that. I mean, I, there was a stat last year where, you know, I, th I think he had started four games at right tackle and they were four and oh, then they started the last game against Baltimore. They lost, but I mean, they've won games with Fred. They haven't won very many games in Zach Taylor's tenure and Fred Johnson started half of them, I think. So, um, I don't feel bad. I don't know if I'd feel good with Fred playing left, but if, if Jonah gets hurt, Riley Reef has played left and you can put Riley there. Now, if both tackles get hurt, then you're in a world of hurt. But um, yeah, I, I just, I feel bad for the, for the kid because um, you know, he showed some signs last year and, and, you know, let's see what he does with the new offensive line coach and chances are, yeah, with that pec injury, he's, he's not going to be back. Do you think there's any chance this makes them reconsider Jackson Carmen's position as a guard? I don't. I, I I think they want him to win that guard spot um, pretty quickly in camp. And if he doesn't win the guard spot, how am I going to feel good at him at tackle? I'm, you know, I, I, so I, I think he needs to go win that guard spot first, and then we'll talk about him. And that is the possibility too, right? Um, that if something happens to an injury that, that Jackson gets a chance to flip outside to tackle and maybe they rep him there some in camp, but I think they want him to win. I think they want him to win that starting right guard spot in camp and then, you know, let the competition be, be had at left guard. Now I will tell you, you know, if Michael Jordan makes some steps forward and, and you still have Spain and Suofilo and, and maybe they just are playing well and, and so is Jackson, Jackson just maybe isn't as experienced as those guys, then maybe, yeah, you do. You get him reps all across the board and he is your main backup at guard and your main backup at tackle. But I, I do really think they want him to win that right guard spot. Yeah, and that makes total sense. If he wins the spot, then it's a no-brainer. I mean, you're not going to be right. moving him around if he's your starting right guard. But my my assumption was he, you know, he'd be behind some of those other guys a little bit as a rookie that's changing right. positions and stuff. And and then does does that put more pressure on him? All of a sudden, he just becomes kind of your super sub, your your backup with some versatility that you're going to play wherever you have to play him based on injury or or just rotating guys. I I, I kind of wonder about that if this does put a little more 
pressure on him from that perspective. Well, it, yeah, well, but I also think it's, it's if, if Suofilo in Spain and, and Jordan show you something very quickly in camp, um, maybe you do feel comfortable enough that it's not really that Jackson Carmen wasn't good enough to start. It's that these guys are more experienced and they took a step forward with a new line coach. And then you go, okay, rookie year, let's make him the super sub. Um, I don't think that's the case now, but yeah, I'm going to guess in the next five weeks, depending on if they can find a, a veteran that they believe can be that swing tackle and get him into, into camp. Um, maybe that is in their thought process. It'll be interesting next time we, we see them, which won't be till camp if, if that's what takes what takes place. No, it does put a lot of pressure on Jonah Williams staying healthy too. No I mean, doubt. You, and, you definitely and have thing, less I, I just, room for air now. I, and I'm just not counting on him and Riley Reef playing 34 games. I'm just not. And, and that's fair. it's not a knock on those guys. It just is what it is. And, and so somebody's going to have to start a handful of games somewhere at one of those tackle spots, if not both. What did you make of Zach Taylor opting to end the team's three-day mini camp after one day? Yeah, I know everybody Everybody lost their minds over that, um, especially on Twitter where everybody seems to lose their mind quite often. Um, a couple of things. First and foremost, the Thursday practice, which is the third of the three-day mini camp, is literally nothing more than a walkthrough. All right? So um, all they're doing is, 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 is repping things, and, and, and they finish with install. The one thing I will say is the, the, the three open media sessions, I'm sorry, the four open media sessions we had, the three OTA days and then the mini camp day, the last three of those four days, we were delayed going into the official start of practice by anywhere from uh, 15 minutes to a half an hour because the walkthrough was running long. So if you add those up, that's actually an extra walkthrough right there. Um, so all you really missed was the Wednesday practice. And really, the, the, the Tuesday when I was at, they did mostly individual position drills for roughly an hour of the hour and a half and then did some seven on seven. I mean... I don't know if people realize it. they're not putting the pads on and going full speed here, folks. Um, you know, th this is pretty much just getting some install in, getting some guys to, to understand what the coaches are asking them to do in, in certain stuff, uh, repping some of the things. Yes. And you can rep those in walkthroughs. And I think they did enough of that. I think Zach Taylor really was sincere in saying we got our work done. Now the flip side to it is he also wants his team to get to that 85% vaccination threshold which will then allow them to do um, in-person meetings in camp will allow them to, to have free, free roam of the, of the weight room as opposed to having to do it in shifts. Um, and so I think for him, a, he thought they got the work done and you, you, you don't have to believe him on that, but I think he was sincere and B he dangled the carrot of guys, you get the 85%. We're done. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the last two days off if you can get there. Um, because I think he's trading the one day of this for a regular training camp. I think it's a pretty good trade-off. You ain't winning any games in June. I mean, you're not. So if that's going to be the trade-off for training camp, then then I have no problem with it whatsoever. And I think anybody else losing their mind is it doesn't understand the situation. Classic football guy stuff right there. If you're right. getting mad about June walkthroughs in the NFL, I mean, you are just straight football guy. Total clown shell. I mean, they're yeah, missing reps. They're, look at what Kansas, Kansas City's practice. Okay, that's fine. That's Kansas City. Maybe they're at the 85% threshold already. Maybe if they weren't, maybe Andy Reid would have done the same thing. Yeah, or maybe they understand that in Kansas City, they'll never get there, one of the two. But I, I think the, uh, the getting vaccinated, and regardless of what your thoughts are on that, from an NFL organization standpoint, if you're trying to win games this year, that'll help you win a lot more of them right to that threshold right now than going through another walkthrough in June will. So I, I think this is a fine move and probably a smart one by Zach Taylor to give a little incentive to get his guys vaccinated. Sometimes that's all you need, just a little extra day off of work, extra day or two off of work, and it'll uh, make you do something you've been putting it off. So, and, and Rick, I will tell you that this past Tuesday, which was the mini camp practice initially, 
um, the practice was supposed to start, the one that was open to the media and the official practice was supposed to start at 1045. We weren't allowed in until like 1120, 1125 because the walkthrough ran long. So that, that that's that's 35 extra minutes of the walkthrough that you can, you know, again, the Thursday was only going to be an hour walkthrough. So we're, we're, we're literally picking nits of what amounted to one day, which was Wednesday. That's it. Trust me for the trade off of getting your guys vaccinated and having a regular training camp. I think it it was the smart move um, without question. Also Joe Burrow and Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, both talked about the quarterback's rapport with rookie receiver, Jamar chase. How much of that did you notice between Burrow and Chase and how big of a deal do you think that really is? I didn't because um, they, they, you know, they were pretty much throwing on air and in the seven on seven, he was really good period end of story. I mean, it didn't matter who he was throwing to. He just looked sharp and it is seven on seven and I'll give Joe credit. He's like, yeah, we're supposed to be good in seven on seven. I mean, there's no pass rush and (laughs) you know, you're supposed to hit all those passes in seven on seven, but I'll take their word for it. If they feel like they've got the chemistry back together again, and it feels like old times, then um, that's all that matters. If they have the confidence in that, that's really all that matters. It's it's hard to tell, like I said, because you're, you know, there's no pass rush. There's no, he's not throwing into really tight windows yet and, and having to make maybe an over the top throw where he knows Jamar or even those, some of those unscripted plays that they made at LSU. Um, I, I'll, we'll see that when it gets live, but if they believe that and they say they're on the same page and that their chemistry's back, I'm going to take them at their word. Do you buy into that being a big deal at this level that, you know, having played with a guy in college gives you that rapport and that's going to help you win NFL games? I, well, I, I, I think that you just get used to the way he runs routes, the speed at which, in fact, it was, it was interesting. Um, Joe was asked about T Higgins and T kind of reshaping his body. And he said, yeah, he said, I, I threw a ball where I underthrew T cause I didn't realize how he was going, going that fast. So it, I think it tells you the, the, just the, the muscle memory of, playing with T Higgins last year, knowing he runs this fast to this spot, this is where I've got to put the ball to time it up. And the fact that, you know, that that's chemistry to me. Okay. And they've got to, got to rekindle it because T is, is maybe a little bit more athletic this year, which is great. But if he and Jamar, you know, having all those reps at LSU together and playing all those games and throwing all those passes um, have that just natural, the natural chemistry is what it is of knowing where he's going to be, how he runs his routes, um, you know, how fast he runs his routes. I do think there is something to that. And that's why I go back to, I, I think for, for Joe and T it's now, okay. I remember you from last year. Now I've got to kind of readjust because you're a little bit maybe quicker and you're, you're running with a little bit more speed to it. And so I've got to put, put it out there a little bit further. So I do think there's something to that. I absolutely do. I think, and I, think meant- and, I, and I will say this, I think it's good. I think it's, it's really important that Joe got himself back for the, for the OTAs. Initially it was kind of a, Hey, it's cool. Joe's back. But I think the fact that Joe participated and got a chance to make a bunch of throws, I think it's a great head start for him going into camp with these guys. Yeah. I'm a little shocked by that. Actually, the fact that he seemed to really get through a whole mini camp, the way you would expect a quarterback to, I mean, they were cautious about, it. I know they tried to keep right, it right. his feet and keep people away from him make sure he didn't get touched or anything, but that's, pretty standard stuff for quarterbacks this time of year. They're a, a little bit extra cautious, I'm sure, but he seemed to go through a normal mini camp and do everything you would want your starting quarterback to do. I have to imagine not only from a him getting the reps in and getting some work in, but just giving everyone else confidence of like, Hey, our, our guy's here. He's good to go. Yeah. He's going to be back. I, I have to imagine that made everyone feel pretty good. And speaking of confidence, you mentioned that with talking about what it does when you have chemistry with a guy. That's the key to me is, whether you know where the guy's going to be or like you, you have that sixth sense with them or not, I don't know, but it does give you confidence in what a guy's capabilities are. And I think that's what allows you to make those unscripted plays and allows right. you to, to get that little bit extra 
out of each other is when you have that understanding that I think this guy can go make a play for me. And if they can actually do it, great. I mean, you have to prove it, but but when you have that belief in your teammate, it does give you a, a little bit extra rain in terms of uh, what you're trying to do out there. And it, it, you're a little more free, I would say. Yeah, I, I think you saw it last year in, in camp with 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 uh, with Joe and 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 uh, Auden Tate. I mean, there's a bunch of times he just throw a ball up to Auden Tate and go go make a play for me, and the guy kept doing it. So what did he keep doing? All right, I, I you know I'm off script here. I've got to find my guy. He'll make a play. And so yeah, I think that there's a lot to that. I really do. That's right. Anything else from Bengals mini camp as they wrap up? Yeah, there were. I mean, like I said, it was pretty much individual drills, and then they did the one seven on seven session, and and the, you know the ball was the ball never hit the ground, so that's a that's a good sign. Um, yeah, it, there, there's really very little to ever glean from OTAs and and, and mini camp, just because they are there. There's there's no fly. I mean, can I tell you if if any of the linebackers can tackle? Can I tell you if Trey Hendrickson can get around the edge and, and sack the quarterback? No, I I, I got to wait for camp and preseason games to determine that stuff. All right, let's switch gears to a little bit of college basketball news. Big news for one of our local teams in the area. NKU will be playing games at Indiana and DePaul this upcoming season. The game at Indiana is a buy game that the Norse will be well compensated for to the tune of $85,000. The DePaul game is part of an exempt event. Skinny, I'll ask you, is this NKU's best chance yet of knocking off a team from a high major conference? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the, the, the dregs of the big East in DePaul. And I, I, you know, I, I think NKU has NKU might even have a better roster, Rick, <laughs> than DePaul. They really might. And look, Indiana's kind of in rebuild mode with, with, you know, with Mike Woodson. So, um, you know, push comes to shove. Indiana still is probably better and, and, and all of those things. And, and we'll probably, but I think they got a shot to beat DePaul. And um, I, they're supposed to play UC, right? Well, see, that's the interesting part here is at that home. game was under contract to return to NKU this year. Yeah. And we have heard nothing about that getting scheduled. And obviously there's a, a lot of change going on at UC. But hey, Indiana has a new coach. They're going to play. DePaul has a new coach. They're going to play. You have to wonder if uh, they're, they're still working on that UC game or what's going to happen there. Well, if there's a contract. Shouldn't there be? Shouldn't there be a game? You would think, I mean, it's, it's not unheard of that teams will, you know, not want to play something and just bail out of them and, and pay them off. But from my understanding, that has not happened to this point. So I would assume they're still trying to get something done there. And I, I mean, it is funny because coaches always talk the um, any anyone, anytime, anywhere, especially like when they take over a program, right? Right. Yeah, no, right. Hearing that type of stuff out of West Miller and then. Uh, you go try to schedule something against them and all of a sudden ah, it doesn't quite work for us. I'll give credit to Indiana because uh, there was a good story from uh, from Rick Bozich who basically explained how Darren got the bye game with Indiana. And, and Darren was like pretty much just they put it out there to everyone in a four or five mile hour driving radius except for Kentucky and Louisville because they knew that wasn't going to happen and said, hey, anyone that, that wants to play us and Indiana was the first one that jumped at the opportunity. And it's like, Mike Woodson is in his first year. You think he's looked at any film of uh, Darren Horn's matchup zone? Yeah. <laughs> you think he's thought about playing a matchup zone the last few years in the NBA? So no, he's, probably, mean, he's probably saying horizon team. Yeah, sure. We'll take it on a horizon team. That'll be fun for us. Yeah. I, I, don't, I think, I think, it'll, I think it'll be tough for Indiana. I really do. I, I will say this, I, you know, for, for NKU and, and, you know, losing the fans from last year, um, I'm a little surprised that maybe they don't have another couple of buy games on there, Rick. 
And now that also requires that also requires the other other schools to want to play NKU too. Yeah, you're talking about NKU right. going to play by games and yeah, make, yeah, make yeah, it yeah, getting yeah. some of that yes. money back, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know that it's that we we know if it's done yet. You know, I mean, these are the first no, two that's right. non-conference that's games we've heard yeah. and. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I, I'm just saying I, I, I shouldn't be surprised if they don't pick up a couple more because I, I think they need to refill the coffers a little bit. And if they get the UC game at home, I can't imagine that's not a sellout. Right. Yeah, I mean, you would think if nothing else, there's going to be enough UC fans Correct. crossing the river for that Correct. game. You would hope a lot of NKU fans would be able to uh, pack the place. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of UC fans in that gym as well. Oh, so sure, sure. That would be I, I, a, a huge draw. Yeah. For I mean, what, 9,200, 9, 9,400, I think, it seats. And there's – I can't remember too many times that thing's ever been filled up. So no, uh, it'd be no. pretty cool to, to see that for, for this season. And I tell you what, just looking at the team that they have, they have a lot returning, obviously. And we've talked about Sam Vincent on here a lot. I, I, everything I've heard since he's arrived on campus, which has only been a few weeks, has been very, very positive. So I'm real interested to see how that turns out. I mean, I think you've got, I'm not saying NKU is going to be even remotely close to being favored in games against Indiana or DePaul, but you do have two first-year head coaches catching them earlier in their year uh, sure. with a team that is pretty experienced and pretty talented for a Horizon-level team. Now, because of the Horizon League and the way things are right now, NKU could be picked fourth or even fifth potentially in preseason. My guess is they're probably third or fourth. But uh, even still, I think this NKU team is going to be pretty good. Yeah, you know my thoughts on Sam Vincent. That 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 cat's really really good. By the way, do you know the last team to beat Sam Vincent? I'm going to guess based on who I'm doing this podcast with. It might have been <laughs> Beachwood High School. That's correct. Exactly right. Well done, Rick. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, I know my co-host. Um, <laughs> Ski. Let's move from college basketball to the NBA. So far, the biggest narrative emerging from the NBA playoffs is the rash of injuries that have massively impacted the postseason. Kawhi Leonard, who missed game five of the Clippers Western Conference semifinal series with the Utah Jazz on Wednesday, marked the eighth all-star to miss a playoff game this year, which is the most in league history, according to Elias Sports Bureau. LeBron James took to Twitter to criticize the league for not looking out for the players' well-being, saying the NBA rushed back to play after delayed postseason in the bubble to end last year. Do you agree with LeBron that the NBA made a mistake in starting the season back so soon after the bubble? And do you think the injuries have ruined the playoffs? Or have they made it more interesting by creating more parity? Yeah, I think it's made it way more interesting for sure. Um, let me go to, to, to LeBron too, though, because I, I want to take all the – if you take these injuries in the macro, maybe he's right. But if we break down who's been hurt and how they got hurt, then I don't know if I buy – I mean, has Anthony Davis ever been hurt before? Yes. Okay. Just right. a few Just times. Sure. I mean, you, you only Just, mentioned it every time we talked about – the right. Lakers prior to of why I didn't of why I didn't pick the Lakers. Right. I, that's why I mean, I you were dead on. Later. You were dead on. Um, all right. So Anthony Davis is is literally always hurt. Okay. It just it, it is what it is. I mean, Kyrie Irving did what happens in basketball on occasion, right? He jumped up and landed on somebody's foot. Um, I don't think that's because they started the season back too soon. And besides, Kyrie Irving, how many games did that cat take off during the season? Right. right. And, and I thought, I think a lot of teams, and I, I, I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head with this, but it sure seems this way. I think a lot of teams did extra, extra load management than they've ever done this past year. Right. It felt like, you know, especially I played fantasy NBA. It felt like every week I was having to look and see, oh gosh, that guy's not going to play in, in these two games. I'm going to have to put somebody in my lineup for him. So it felt like there was, and that, that was fine. I get why they did that. I understand it. Um, you know, James Harden suffered a hamstring injury. 
I, okay, he's carried a little bit extra tonnage. Did that do anything? Did that cause that? Maybe, maybe. Kawhi, was that freaky? Was that because? So, I mean, if you take each one of these, I don't know if you can say it's because the season started. There's some freaky ones in there, and there's some guys who've been hurt in their career before. Yeah, the Jamal Murray one, I think, is the one that a lot of people point to. And that, I mean, it's just such a weird non-contact freaky thing where, you know, the knee goes on you. And you do wonder a little bit, is that, you know, an overuse type thing or something weird there? But you bring up a good point. Like a lot of this stuff has been guys coming down on the side of their foot and rolling their ankles. You know, I mean, that that's basketball. It does Has Joel Embiid been hurt before? Yes. I mean, but Wait. now, now when you're talking about guys like that, I will say having a 280 pound or 300 pound frame, whatever, on a 611 sure. body, you are open to getting injured, and the more overuse is is going to put you at harm in harm's way. So, from from that aspect, LeBron may have somewhat of a point with a guy like uh, Joel Embiid a little bit more. But y- your point about a lot of these just being nature of the game type injuries is a good one. I mean, that's mostly what I've seen is. Guys getting hurt because something physical contact is part of the game. Right. Yeah. Right. And and, and I, I do. I, I I think that a lot of teams did a lot of things through load management this year. I really believe that, and I get it. I I, I fully think that's the right that was the right thing to do because if you were going to be a playoff team, you did want to have your guys fresh for the playoffs. And I, honestly, I, I mean, are the Hawks are the Hawks are the Hawks been harmed by by? being this deep into the playoffs. I mean, who plays harder and crazier than young? I mean, he's getting through it. I just, I think it's guys who've been injury prone and some freak stuff. And yeah, maybe you can argue one of those injuries is because that, that, that player put too much wear and tear on their body this season. But I, I, I don't, I, I I'm going to dismiss the fact that that's, that's the exact reason why this is taking place. I don't buy it. And I don't think LeBron would be saying that if they were still playing. You're probably right. He's getting whinier and whinier, to be quite frank. Uh, okay, we can talk about LeBron a little bit because I've always been a big LeBron defender. I'm a big fan of his too. Yeah, and not, I do not, think uh, he, you know, for most of his career, he's been the best player in the world, and and that's yes, not in question. Clear. His legacy no. is what it is, and a lot yes. of people get on LeBron because he like annoys them and it's whining about refs and stuff like that. When I'm like, look at some of the other athletes that you guys worship and put on a pedestal compared to LeBron as a human being. Like LeBron's never done anything that we know of that, you know, against the law or that makes him a bad guy. He's annoying at times. And he's a guy who's been a celebrity since he was 15 years old. So I kind of try to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that stuff. That being said, for a guy who has so much awareness at times about his image and what things are going to look like and what's the right thing to say. It is amazing how frustrating he can be at times. For instance, like the quitting stuff, the thing, the the stuff he started doing the last few years where he will just quit when the game isn't going his way and like completely quit going back on defense and quit moving on defense and just weird stuff like that. He walks off the court early things that he knows people are looking for right. when it's not going against him. He, he continuously does and gives them that ammo. I don't understand why he does a lot of that stuff. Or like yeah. when he shows up to the high school games and makes a total scene and he knows people are going to nitpick that. I mean, I guess good for him for not worrying about what people think, but he makes it so easy on these people. Yeah. And, and it, it, like I said, in regards to this, if, if the Lakers were still playing and Anthony Davis was healthy, I don't think you'd hear any 
part of this by any stretch of the imagination. And and, and I go back to Anthony Davis, dude. You, the guy gets hurt. It's just what he does. What what, what did Charles Barkley call him? Anthony Street Clothes Davis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, that was a pretty good one. I, I will say that. But I will say I hated watching the Nuggets run around with that like Compazzo guy playing point guard for him. Yes. So it has bothered me that some of the top players are going down and we don't get to see some of the best, but this is the most wide open an NBA playoffs has been that I can remember in the last 10 years. I mean, can you imagine? I don't think it happens. I do think Philly comes back and wins, but I mean, you've got a chance for the Hawks to maybe be in the NBA final at some point here. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, last, last week I talked about how Brooklyn clearly became the favorite in my eyes. But then right after I said that all of a sudden they started dealing with all those injuries and it was yeah. like, and I think the bucks come back and win that series. I, 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 my guess is the nets are still going to make the NBA finals. If nothing else, just because Kevin Durant is the best player in the world, but it's open. I mean, it's not a sure thing, especially, you know, Kyrie being out and uh, Harden. It's, it seems more likely to me that Harden ends up injured again than he gets back to a hundred percent and, you know, plays at his peak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and look, Kevin Durant did a great job carrying them in game five when that was such a swing game. Cause oh, it's I, unbelievable. Know, if, if, if the Nets lose that game, Milwaukee wins game six at home and the series is over, but um, uh, you're going to have to ask him to do that again. And I think you'll see a much different, you know, defense from Milwaukee. I think they'll literally run doubles at him constantly and say, Joe Harris, you ain't made a shot all series, make some shots. This goes back to my point last week that we talked about, though. We were talking about Kawhi Leonard not defending the best player on the other team a lot, and that used to be what made Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion, in the conversation for best player in the game because he could lock down almost anybody in his final years with the Spurs and that year when he won it with the Raptors. Why is Giannis not guarding Kevin Durant at the end of that game? With the game that's on the line. Qu- Why do you not question. try it one time? You've got the most freak athlete in yep. the world on your roster, an all defense of player of the year type of guy, and you're not going to try him on Durant? That makes yeah, no and, sense. And I can even argue not putting him on him for the first three quarters just because of fatigue and foul trouble. But with the game on the line down the stretch, I'm changing my matchup and he's got him. I'm only talking about those final minutes where you need one oh, or two right. stops to right. win the no, game. I know. Yeah, and you're not going to try anything else against Durant just torching you, doing whatever he I mean, wants. He's been an all all NBA defensive team member, has he not? He's been the defensive player of the year, I, I right. believe, hasn't he? Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. That that makes. I mean, look, PJ Tucker did a great job on him in in game whatever the hell game four, um, and that's great. And like I said, if you want to put PJ Tucker on him for the first three quarters just to keep any foul issues away and fatigue away, but if it's a one or two possession game in the last period. Uh, you you got that guy. Yeah. That's it. Pretty simple. Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Okay, so there we go. You've got yeah. the defending Defensive Player of the Year, and you're not going to try him one time on Kevin Durant, who's putting a 50 ball on you? Like, right. what, are, what are we doing? That just does not make sense to me. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, that drives me crazy about the NBA. Like you said, I understand fatigue, foul trouble. You're not going to do it every game, all game long. But when you're in the playoffs and the game's on the line – you're just going to let Durant do whatever he wants. I, 
Again, you might not be able to stop Kevin Durant when he's in that zone anyway, but at but, least but I'm going to use my best. Right. I'm using my best guy to stop him. Yeah, well, he's, got least, the, he's got the length to challenge him. That's the other part. PJ Tucker still doesn't really have the length to challenge him. That's the whole thing right there. At least put the guy with the physical attributes to maybe mess him up a little bit, or at least, you know, get in his eyesight a little bit. He's just right. shooting over top of these other guys. And he shoots so well that it's, it's almost like a game of horse, despite somebody putting a hand in his face. Yeah, it really is crazy. All right, Skinny, let's go to our gambling segment. And we've actually got a little bit of a storyline to start this one off because some big news on that front locally. The Ohio Senate has overwhelmingly passed a bill legalizing sports gambling. The House will now consider the bill, which creates up to 25 licenses for casinos and racinos, up to 33 licenses for brick-and-mortar sportsbooks, and an unlimited number of licenses for kiosks at bars, though those kiosks will be limited to bets of up to $200. Betting will be allowed on pro and college sports. And if the bill passes, licenses would be awarded starting April 1st. Skinny, your your overall thoughts. And uh, I also want your take on where's the spot you're most looking forward to adding a betting kiosk in Ohio? (laughs) Well, I mean, we, we, we work how close to, I don't ever go to Jack casino. I just don't, but how, how far is that from channel 12 about a one minute and 10 second drive down the hill? Well, it's also one of the easiest places to get to if you're coming from northern Kentucky yes. across the river. Yes. Just pull off and get in a parking lot. And yep. Sit. yep. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a good spot. Well, and they're, they're, I think online's attached to this, too. So, and in fact, I just downloaded that Barstool app that you talked about and and actually uh, tried it out, and it's really convenient. I can just pull into a, a place in, in park and make my thing. I don't have to go in any longer and, and worry if somebody's yeah. at the thing. Yeah, it's simple as, simple as pie. So if they're going to have that as well, um, I may be able to just do it uh, on my laptop from wherever I am when I have to go to work in Ohio. Yeah, and they they did mention that all of the all of those uh, casino and racino licenses will have the ability to to have apps too. So and, and look, I mean, you're surrounded by a lot of states that have it, and the point being that all that money's flowing out of Ohio into those other states. It's an it's a, it's an utter no it's an utter no brainer. You've already passed casino. You have horse racing. It's it's a no brainer. And now Kentucky's going to look like the idiots that we always look like because we still don't want to pass it. And it's just it's mind numbing and mind boggling to me. Well, you know what's hilarious is I when I go over to Lawrenceburg, I mean a couple times a week to go put some bets in on the app. I get off that exit. I go left initially, and I pull immediately into the Circle K. The Circle right K. There. That's exactly that's exactly where I did. And it's got this long, extended parking, parking lot. The parking lot's, the parking lot's huge. It's yeah, huge. it's awesome. But the funniest part of that is it's almost like it was invented for that because now when I pull up there, a lot of times in the evening as people are getting off work or whatever, you'll see seven or eight guys just sitting right. in a row, and they're all right. in their car for 15, 20 minutes just looking at a phone. It's like, they're all doing the same thing I'm doing. They're all just yeah. putting in some bets before they go home for the evening. It's and fantastic. And I'm going to guess probably a few of those live in Ohio, a couple more in Kentucky. You live in Kentucky. I live in Kentucky. I mean, it, it, it is. I, it's, it's, it's 15 minutes from my house. Yeah. And, I mean, you hop, you you know, you sit there you, in the parking lot for a few minutes. You put in your bets. You're right back on the expressway right back on the interstate. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it really can't be any easier. It truly can't. Yeah, and Ohio, it'll be even better, obviously, with me being in Newport. So, well, it also gives you another, you know, a different option too. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's. Yeah. And then here we are in Kentucky, wondering, well, we could be making money, but we're not because we're going to let it all go to the other states. Just moronic, utterly you, you, moronic. You know, the Ohio thing. As much as I wanted in Kentucky, the Ohio thing may be good for me financially because at least there's not like the. Uh, Live line double downs, the, the bad decision double downs for me when you really good felt point. good about something. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to buy the dip now here in the second quarter because my initial plan didn't go well. 
and now I can get them at plus 19. So I'm going to double down on them. At least it won't be so easy to do that. I'll have to still that, drive that five point. minutes over to Ohio no, to put in my bet. And, and that's still, that's probably still, there's, there's always got to be just a little bit of enough of a deterrent a where, you don't become a de- where you don't become a degenerate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, you know, you were mentioning the Barstool app. One thing I will say right now that I've really gotten into with the NBA playoffs going on, people are, I've gotten a few people that'll DM me on Twitter or text me if they know me and say, hey, I'm in Indiana for the weekend or I'm in Pennsylvania or whatever. What app? is the best app to use. What should I be doing? I've, I've used uh, Barstool. I've both. used FanDuel. I've d- done DraftKings. Right, right. I think I've done one other one, but mostly I use DraftKings and Barstool most consistently. But recently during the NBA playoffs, if you check out FanDuel's app, the player props they have on there are fantastic. And, and what I mean by that is they let you do same game parlays. And instead of just having like one points number for a player and over under number, you can also do like so-and-so to score 10 points or more so-and-so to score 15 points or more. And they have that for every player. So what you can all of a sudden do, what I've been doing a lot of is saying like, okay, I'm going to have three guys to get 10 points, one guy to get 20 and another guy to get 25. You got a five guy parlay. And a lot of them, you know, you expect them to hit, you're getting like plus 400 plus 500 odds on this parlay. You expect most of them to hit. And then you've got maybe like a, a Royce O'Neal needs to get you 10 points. It's kind of your wild card there. Right. And sure right. enough, like the other night I had one of those going on and sure enough, Royce O'Neal ends on eight points or wow. uh, another night. I had a similar thing going on. I needed 10 out of Nick Batum. He finished with nine. Everybody else hit. So yeah, tough losses there, but just fantastic sweats. When you're watching a playoff game and you need like four or five different guys to score, it's a lot of stuff to root for. You're in it till the end. You can do it with three pointers. You can do it with rebounds. You can do it with points. And they've got all those different levels that you can pick for each player. Makes it a lot of fun to do player props instead of just the, hey, is this guy going to score 27 points over under? Yeah, no, no question. And I, I did do a handful. So I, I ended up putting 40 in the pot. I went to uh, what is it? Pay near me thing at, at CVS, put 40 in the pot, got a $10 sign up bonus, got a $5 bonus for, uh, for putting my favorites. I don't know why I got a $5 bonus for that, but I did. So I put 55 in the pot and made some, some, some us open plays out of it. So I feel pretty good about that. So yeah, okay. us open starts today as we're recording this. Who do you got? Yep, I got five guys in different odds. I've got Justin Thomas at twenty-two to one. I've got Colin Morikawa at twenty-two to one, and then I've got three three pretty decent long shots. I got Corey Connors at seventy to one. I've got Tommy Fleetwood at eighty to one, and my longest of long shots five dollars to win twelve hundred and fifty on Cameron Champ. He hits it a long way. He's he, he can bomb it. It's a place where you need to bomb it. He, he, he can get erratic. I'm just hoping that he's bombing it in the fairway this week. And um, he's kind of that guy that, that emerges. There's usually one or two guys in the U.S. Open just because of the fact that the way the scoring can be um, that, that come out of nowhere to, to make a run. So I'm kind of hoping that he's the guy out of nowhere to make the run for me. But I, I, but I got 15 free dollars out of it. So there we go. I did want to ask you about NBA championship odds. Have you? I'm looking at the updated numbers here. We've got... Nets at plus 150 are the favorites. Suns at plus 240. Jazz plus 600. Bucks plus 700. Clippers 1,000. 76ers 1,200. Hawks 2,000. Any of those interest you? Um, well, considering that I've, I've still got the future wager on Phoenix to win it all, the Clippers to win it all, Philly to win it all, Milwaukee to win it all. Um, about the only one that intrigues me a little bit is the Clippers, but I've already got something on them. And I just don't think if Kawhi is out for an extended period, I do think they get through this series now that they won game five, um, get back to the home court. I do think that they find a way to, to, to finish this one off. And then they, 
can hopefully get Kawhi back. But I mean, what'd you say the Suns are? Because I got the Suns. I believe I don't have it on me. I, I'm they're two forty now. Yeah, I got I got them at eighteen to one, dude. That's I'm sitting on my eighteen to one. Pretty darn so, good. Yeah. Well, we do. Do we know what's going to happen with Chris Paul? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, that and by the way, things. was his because of the bubble? I I find it. I mean, did he get back? Did he get vaccinated or did he not? I don't I, know. That's, I know that's, that, that's the oddball question here. Um, now I guarantee you he's crossing his fingers that somehow that Clipper series goes seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they certainly need Chris Paul. Can they get through a game? Maybe. Um, and that will, they, they will have home court cause they'll be the, the better seed. Um, unless Utah comes back to win and, and I'm banking on the clips winning. Um, so yeah, the thing is though, Rick, I, I mean, I feel bad in the East now cause I'm down three, two in each series for, for, about 24 hours ago, I was feeling pretty good that I'm going to get all four of my teams that I have futures on into, into the, the semis. Into the, yeah, so I'm going to get I'm going to get a final matchup. It's just a matter of how much am I going to win off of it. Um, now I'm now I'm sweating the East and um, feeling pretty good about the West because I do think the Clips win, so I'll at least have one of those two teams in the in the uh, Western Conference Finals. And if no Kawhi, then I certainly feel way better about the Suns at that point. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, none of those really do interest me. I'm I'm, I'm probably going to I got the Bucks at eight to one. I think you said they're seven to one now. So I've still got a little bit more value on them. So yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good where I'm at. Yeah, I I think both the the Bucks and the the Sixers at seven to one and, and twelve to one, a little interesting to me there. I mean, if, yeah, if you're yeah, thinking because, about the next I, injuries, yeah, and I I do think the Sixers come back and win that series. I I honestly do. I they, these last two games have been confounding to me to blow giant leads like that. Although make a free throw for goodness sake, Ben Simmons and Joel that was Embiid. incredible, incredible. I mean, just ridiculous. But at the same time. How about you go to Joel and be down the stretch and go get a bucket? I mean, he took two horrible, horrible shots down a stretch. Go, go get a bucket. You're, you're the best player on that team. Go get a bucket. It, the way the game is played today and just the way it works in general, I honestly wonder what Shaq would look like if he played in this era. And maybe that's I, a good I, question I, for another I, day. I, yeah, I still think you'd play through him and he's such a big, strong guy. He would still dunk 10 times a game and you wouldn't stop him. And you still have to play through him. I agree. No one would stop him, but I'm just fascinated to know like, how you play through them, how you defend ball screens with them in this no, era. There's no doubt. Like, there's no of, doubt. All of that stuff. Do, do people look at him the same and do they look at him as being the same value that, that you used to when everyone had a big slow plotting guy that you could stick? It's just, it's interesting, you know, because the, you got a guy like Embiid who you would think should just go dominate inside. And it's like, it's almost like they feel like they can't get, get him the ball inside or something. Right. I, it's, it's crazy. It's weird to watch. It, it is weird to watch. I, I don't, I don't understand it because there are times he does dominate like that. Yeah, I mean, when he gets around the rim, it feels like he's really hard to stop, but it feels like they don't think they can run their offense that way at all. And maybe part of that's having Ben Simmons on the roster. I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's some of that too. They, they are a little bit tight down there on that end of the floor sometimes. But anyway, let's get in some Ask Any Anything questions. We've got a couple of them. And again, the big one here at the end that I can't wait to see what you have to say about. We'll start off with a sports-related question as we typically do. And this is not a bad question. It's a good question. It's a tough answer. I don't know if you have one for I. I Nothing comes to mind for me. I'll ask you, though. What are some of the most surprising outcomes for a local team considering expectations? What are some of the most disappointing outcomes? Mm. I guess surprising outcomes was that UC team of, of hugs getting to the Final Four that year. No one saw that coming, right? Okay. I mean, that was a, you know, I was pretty young at that time, so I don't remember the expectations all that well, but uh, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't think anybody even came close to seeing that coming. Um, that, that was a pretty nice surprising outcome. Um, uh, let me think disappointing outcomes. Well, you know, I mean, you could argue <laughs> uh, 
the, the, the two Bengals Super Bowl teams were surprising because uh, the, the 1980 Bengals finished six and 10 and the 81 team goes 12 and four and goes to the Super Bowl. Uh, the 87 Bengals, and some of this was strike related and there was some strife inside the team because of the strike, but the 87 Bengals went four and 11, you know, they didn't play one, one of the games because of the strike, but they went four and 11 and the next year went 12 and four into the Super Bowl. So you could argue that the two Super Bowl teams, um, you know, maybe the 90 Reds going wire to wire, but they were coming off of a pretty good run in the late eighties. They just couldn't get over the hump. They had a bunch of second place finishes in a good young roster. I'm trying to think disappointing. I guess 12 and 13 Reds maybe for disappointing. Yeah, because they, you know you had you had the pitching. You know they they that those teams were certainly talented enough in the playoffs. To, well, to and they just the totally flopped and totally I mean, flopped. Totally yeah. flopped. I mean, you could argue you know game five of of that series with the Giants um, was was really disappointing because it felt like it was over before it started almost. Um, that would be one. Let me think if there's anything. I mean, two of the Bengals playoff losses, right? The the Carson Palmer knee injury game and then the Jeremy Hill fumble game. That's that's pretty heart wrenching. Yes. Heart wrenching. Yeah. But I don't know that anyone thought those were like maybe the, the chemo von Olhoffen, uh, Carson Palmer game, maybe that year we had higher expectations for the Bengals making a run. And it kind of played out that way because the Steelers did go on and make that run. Right, so right. you think if they win that game, yes, but I don't know that that year that the, the Jeremy Hill stuff, all that happened. I don't know. Did we think the, the Bengals were going to win a pretty Super good team? Bowl? It no, I, I, but I don't I, think I, anyone, I, I think everyone thought they would probably lose the Steelers, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. That season kind of got derailed when Andy Dalton got hurt. Cause he was having, right. Oh, know, that's right. That's, that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. 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 He got hurt. And then AJ McCarron came in and did, did good enough things. But um, yeah, I think that, I guess that was disappointing because Andy got hurt. Cause that, that offense that year was clicking. His passer rating was in like 106. He was in the MVP conversation. I don't think he was going to win it, but he was certainly in the conversation. Um, so that kind of turned out to be disappointing. Cause that team literally, um, had a chance to go win home field advantage in Denver. Couldn't get it done on that Monday night when Denver kicked the field goal to win yeah. it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was disappointing, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I, I think that, that, that one to me stands out. I'll, I'll go with that one. Okay. Uh, mint or fruit flavored gum. Uh, mint. Um, I, I, no, I don't do. Yeah. Mint or bubble gum. I, I, I like the old bazooka. I'm a big bazooka bubblegum guy. I don't do it much anymore. I'm pretty much just a, I'm either big red or a trident spearmint guy. Spearmint or peppermint? Which one for you? Is it uh spearmint? I think. Yeah. Spearmint. Wait, no, 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 no. Peppermint, but not, I like more like wintergreen though. Cause spearmint is like the weird, uh, almost like tangy, right? Like wintergreen. That's yeah, spearmint. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't like that that much. I'm like a, um, I like big red or something. I, I, I like big red. Yeah, that that's not, that's like neither. I don't think that's either of these categories. I don't, that's like cinnamon. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't like that at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fruit flavored gum is only good if we're talking about like big league chew, like yeah, but I don't candy type fruit, gum. Fruit, I don't consider I agree. fruit flavored. Yeah. I think like juicy fruit is fruit flavored gum and that's not good. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind it. Yeah. No, t- some of that would be like the mango flavored. Trident gum. mango. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah no, not for me. Yeah, me neither. I'm with you on that. There's a few ones I've had that are all right, but I'm not a giant gum guy. And I general. will say, I, I, I see, I chew gum a lot. I'm just a big really? fresh breath guy. I can't, yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. I, 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 if I have a cup of coffee, like if I'm covering the Bengals and I have a cup of coffee on my way in, if I go in the locker room, I got to have a piece of gum in my mouth when I'm talking to somebody. I, they, can't, they can't smell coffee breath. Well, I'm it's with like, you. When you're doing interviews for sure, I'm, I'm more of a mint guy than a gum guy. I mean, I'll be yeah. honest. 
I'll be honest. The, 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 I, I like the guy and, and he, he wasn't, he wasn't a great interview, but he was at least courteous and he was, you know, he talked to you when you wanted, but the literal worst breath of any human being I've ever been around in my lifetime was Jeremy Hill. The worst. <laughs> it smelled like he had eaten a pile of dung and then farted in it and then sweated inside his mouth about a thousand times over. It was the most rancid smell you could ever have. Now I will tell you, there is a, uh, there's a horse pain medication called Butte that sometimes athletes would use. It does give you bad breath, but that was usually more, I think of a garlicky breath. I'm telling you. And, and the first time I, I, I walked away, I, I, I said to somebody, I said, man, his breath. And I think this person hadn't talked to him. It might've been his rookie year. They came back and they go, Oh my word. I said, yeah. I said, maybe it's just today, but it was his whole career here. And he was a nice little guy. I liked him. He was a, he was courteous, but who boy, I couldn't get close to him. I can tell you that even not close to him. It, I was like, I was wondering, what did you do? dude, did you just, did you fall into a thing of manure and did you eat it this morning? What, what did you do? Yeah. I, I can't out the, the people involved because it's still a significant part of my life. But one of my uh, good friends, <laughs> me and him will talk. We have someone we come in contact frequently with who has just the most insanely bad breath and a couple other smells going on as well with them. But, uh, the, the breath thing, you'll sometimes say, did you smell that turd and liverwurst sandwich he had for lunch? Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, what? Where, man? Get some self-awareness, bro. Yeah, unbelievable. No, you're right. That is the one thing. If you are getting into this business and it, you're going into locker rooms or just doing interviews, talking to people in general, pop something. Pop. Yes, it, yes. You know, spray something. Gum, pop something, a mint yes. gum. Yeah, yes. you cannot. The bad breath thing is the worst thing you can have going on if you're the media person. Like Correct. no one will want to talk no, to you. No question. Yeah. All right. A well-known, this is from our buddy Mo. This is a good one. A well-known <laughs> local sports figure recently gave me a dead fish handshake and it's been bothering me since. Is there a bigger F you that one man can give another? What are they? And what's the best response to the dead fish handshake? I think regardless of any of Mo's questions, I think we should first guess who he's talking about that gave him a dead fish handshake. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, he was I, just at the big Bob Huggins event. Was it Wes Miller? Was it Bob Huggins? Was it? No, I think Hug. I'm going to guess Hugs has a pretty firm handshake. Now, it would bother me if he didn't. I guess he He's hosted. Guy. He hosted something for one of the GCL schools with like Chris Collinsworth and other people like that. Could it have been Collinsworth? Um, yeah, that that, that possibility exists. Is Collinsworth big time and Mo? I don't think. It's, see, I don't know. If that's a big time mover. They're just there's some guys with that wet fish handshake that you you. It's just it. Yeah, I'm a big, in fact, I used to have people make fun of me because when I shake your hand and I didn't even realize I was doing this at the time, when I would shake somebody's hand, maybe for the first time, for whatever reason, when I'd shake it, I'd turn my wrist to the left just a little bit. It was like, out of, I don't know why I did that. And somebody said, why do you always do that? And I'm like, I don't even know I'm doing it. And so it became conscious. No, that when I'd that's, shake a, hand, I, that's a power move. And you did know you were doing it. You were I just, didn't. Yeah, that's like Trump used to pull people's hands in a little bit, like to dominate. That's what you were doing there. You were just cucking them a little bit. Like, hey, see, I I'm didn't, dictating see, I didn't, I, the terms of our uh, shake here. I'm turning and, and, may, and maybe subconsciously, that's exactly it. I just yeah, never understood that I was doing it. I I, I really don't. Occasionally, if I, for, for whatever reason, if I, if I'm really, if I want to be really sincere, I'll shake your hand and I'll and slap pat. it with my other, I slap yeah. it with the other hand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the pat, the guy on like the forearm elbow move. Yep. Yeah. That's what, yep. yeah. That's when you're sincere. That is. Yeah. It's totally like, Hey, I mean this, or I feel bad about what just happened to you. Yeah. I, I think it's usually, if, if there's a big blank, you moment to it, it's, it's, it's just a non-response. It's the, Hey man, how you doing? You get no response. Like, oh, okay. You're big time. I mean, that's fine. I'm good with that. 
Yeah, I mean, is that what? Because I never even really thought of the the See, I, don't, I don't think what, I don't think the, the dead fish, fish yeah. is much of an fu. I was just kind of like, yeah, that guy's I, I, it's, it's just occasionally there's, yeah, guy. it's occasionally there's, there's. In fact, I accidentally accidentally gave one to a to a guy. I was doing a, a baseball game PA for it on on uh, Monday, and I was in a hurry. I'm running around trying to get some pronunciations and get some stuff organized. And it was somebody reached his hand out. I kind of did a quick flyby, like, "Hey, good to see you." And as I'm walking away, I'm like, "Gosh, I just gave him the dead fish. Dag it." Yeah, I, I, you feel bad. I want to almost go back and shake his hand again and go, I'm, but I was, I literally was in such a hurry that I, I had no time to stop and, and chat or even really even grab a hand. But yeah, I felt bad for that one. The the worst is when you're, you're like meeting someone, especially if it's someone you're like trying to get to know or impress or whatever. Or it's like someone you're going to hire you or whatever it is. When it's like a thing where you want to make a good impression and they squeeze you early, like they get you before you get your hand in there. And yeah, you, you dead yep, fish them on yep, accident. That yep. is the worst feeling in the world. It's like you can't get it back. You can't regrip. You're just stuck there. And now that yeah, guy but, thinks you're but, a pansy. But, but it, right. But here's what you do when you're done with the conversation. You reach your hand back out and shake it again. And then you turn that it to way. the left a little bit. Correct. Then you turn it to the left a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just to show them that you're you're. Uh, yeah, in I'm, I'm more I'm, I'm more manly than I first showed, buddy. And now I'm in control. So you bring you bringing up your uh, incident just made me think of this. I was at mad tree last weekend and uh, you know, Xavier's getting that TBT team together. And yes, one of the yes. guys just announced yes. on it was Jeff Robinson, a player that I covered when I first got onto the beat. And so he's there and we kind of cross paths right at the end as I'm going up to the bar and he's walking out and man, you want to talk about being the awkward white guy who can't get the dap right. I mean, normally I'm like, that master flex can I'm good. I'm, I can handle myself, whatever I, I'm good. And in this situation, I started to go for a handshake. He put out a fifth. Then I'm like, Oh yeah, COVID you still feel bad about it. So I'm now going to go to the rock. Then he kind of sticks his hand out again. And then I actually miss it as I'm kind of <laughs> going by to bump. And I, it was the most embarrassing white thing I've ever done in my life. By the way, who who else on that that the, the Xavier TBT team? Yeah, so they've got Mark. Is it Blewett? Blewett, Makira, uh, Mark Lyons, Sean O'Mara. Ker- wow, Canner. he is he is the perfect guy for that kind of a game. He is, and Karam Canner would be really good too. A stretch yep, yep, big guy too. Yep, you got one yep. bruiser and one stretch. Um, and then Jeff Robinson. You got your six ten athletic guy as kind of your your backup piece if you need it. Um, they've got. KL Locke, a dude who uh, played somewhere else, like UNC Greensboro or something. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of who. Oh, Kaiser Gates. Kaiser oh, wow. Gates is on the team. Um, Brandon Randolph, a guy who ended up transferring out him. after a sophomore yep, year. Remember, yeah, I remember him. He joined up with them just recently. Um, I'm sorry. I was trying to scroll and find the roster here, and I'm not no, seeing you're all right. it quickly yeah, on Twitter. But those are those are kind of the main names. Obviously, okay. uh, JP and Trey are, and and Kaiser actually is has kind of taken off too since he got into the G League. So uh, I think they're excited about those three guys, and then Mark Lyons obviously being the zip em up zip Godfather. Em. Zip zip them up, baby. Zip them up. Yeah. Um, is that still in Columbus? I, they are, it's different regional sites, but I think they will be in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what um, okay. Yeah. That, at least that's the expectation, but okay. So we've got one more question. It's from a friend of the show. Yeah. I'm interested. You said there's a dark question coming. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of interested. It's in this. dark. Okay. So he wants to know a current name, a current NFL player that if he did what OJ meaning OJ Simpson did would mirror the situation perfectly. Like in terms of how likable the guy is, how shocking it would be, 
and the subsequent attention it would get. If you don't know what we're referring to, we're talking about OJ Simpson killing his wife. He was acquitted. If you yeah. don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah, I, I should say OJ Simpson not killing his wife is what I should yeah. have said. But I think we all wink, wink, know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do this because I, I think I don't think this would shock me, but he is he is at least, I guess, has enough of a likability factor to do national commercials. And he does have apparently enough of a likability factor to potentially host a game show, but he looks like he could also be as bat blank crazy as possible and do something like that. A.A. Ron Rogers. Wow. Interesting. So that was the, the first name I brought up. The first two names I brought up were Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, because I think those are the only two guys with enough commercial success, entertainment success, like, notoriety to ma- to match OJ and the way and, OJ- Bra- now, and I gotta be honest with you Brady's creepy and Aaron Rodgers they're both creepy too well and as soon as they I really said are. that that was the first thing that this guy who asked the question said was that he said first of all I could totally see Aaron Rodgers doing this so it wouldn't even be shocking right that's what I said that's kind of, a, I'm kind yeah, of what, weird well, that both of you said that <laughs> um but again he's got a you know a likability kind of like OJ I mean OJ obviously did a ton of national commercials he did Monday Night Football he had a likability factor um, and, and, you know, so obviously does Aaron, I mean, Aaron's Rogers is the guy to me. He's, he's got the, yes, the commercials. Yes. He's got the jeopardy thing jeopardy, going on. Right. He's hanging out with all the movies. St- like to me, Aaron Tom, Rogers Tom, is the guy. Tom Brady would seem to be, honestly, this is, this is so, this is dark, but Fair. Tom Brady just, Tom Brady just seems like he'd have that. I'm going to do it and I will get away with it. He seems like he'd be the smartest guy in the room thinking he could get away with it. Yeah, I'm a little worried about what our country would do if Tom Brady was put up for murder. I feel like we would probably just let him go. Like, I, I don't know that we would prosecute Tom Brady, if I'm being honest. That maybe, but there, there's a creepy factor with that cat, too. There really is. The one thing that I think we kept kind of coming back to as we were arguing about this for multiple hours over text was that there probably isn't a good one-to-one comparison here for a couple of reasons. One is the racial element to OJ's situation that it'd be just hard to have a similar thing now. And two, there aren't a lot of guys who are famous in that same way. It's more social media stuff and they keep to themselves a little bit more. It's not the same thing of you go out and you do a bunch of movies and commercials and everyone. I'm trying trying to think how many NFL players do national commercials. The only guys I can think of from the NFL are Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes doing the state farm commercial. Am I missing somebody else? Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady has obviously done a bunch of different things over the years. He doesn't, I don't think he's on as much anymore. Um, The other two guys I mentioned that are kind of, I feel like they cross over enough to where random people would know, like your mom might know who they are is Gronk and Marshawn Lynch, but neither of them fit the the rest of the stuff at all. I mean, they're not, they just wouldn't be a good comparison at all if they did that. And again, I mean, yeah, Gronk killed somebody, you'd be like, well, that was just too wild of a Friday night for the Gronk family. I mean, yeah. And Marshawn does have some, he did the subway commercial. I think he did a Doritos commercial or Cheetos commercial, something along those lines, right? Those uh, two are recognizable, but, 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 but but he, but, but, but Marshawn, I think Marshawn has always seemed crazy enough that that that, that wouldn't shock you either. Same, same with Gronk. I mean, that's what right. same with Gronk. Are in right. the right category of like we take them seriously. They're like national. Um, oh, icon dude, I, dude, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this. I have no doubt that when Gronk does finally officially retire, that cat makes a porn movie. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Or well, or an OnlyFans. I mean, could you imagine how much yeah, money correct. an OnlyFans? Correct. He would, he would oh make my it. word. 
So let me give you the name that the person who posed this question originally thinks is the perfect answer. And I think it's so far off base. All right. Larry Fitzgerald. Wow. Yeah, I guess from the shocking factor, because he just he's been the consummate pro good guy, um, all the things that you'd want. Um, right, but here's my point. What's the last I guess, I guess, thing Larry Fitzgerald was on TV for right, anything or anything right. for? That's the, just the it. University of Phoenix commercials in 2009? Yeah, he's done some, uh, I think he's done a couple of things on, he does some things I think on radio on Monday Night Football where he, he does like a two-minute interview and it's, He's for something, but you would know. I, okay, but every everyone right. in the country Dude. knew who OJ Simpson was. Your no mom, question. your grandmother. My mom right. does no, not know who Larry Fitzgerald is. Right, because OJ Simpson was in commercials. He was an actor. Monday Night Football. Yes, he had complete brand brand appeal. So that's what made this whole whole thing so shocking. Obviously, yeah, and that and that's the yeah, whole part yeah. of this that you Larry just Fitzgerald's like. Yeah, it's not the right answer. I, it, I it, said this. It, 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 it would be utterly shocking. Don't get me wrong. That would be one where I just my jaw would drop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a nice guy. Or. By all accounts. I mean, so I yes. get that part of it, but there's just nowhere near th that case. I mean, it would be a big deal, but it wouldn't stop the country like OJ Simpson's did. Correct. It just wouldn't. I Correct. mean, there's a lot of people who don't know or don't care who Larry Fitzgerald is. That's, that's the, right. That's no, the that's difference. Right. OJ Simpson, he's not the same caliber of player of like a LeBron in terms of the stature in his sport, but he was like that famous at the time. All right. How about this comparison? He's not in the NFL any longer, but I guess Tony Romo. Well, I, I got a better one for you that I think is actually probably the best answer I've come up with, and it's Peyton okay. Manning. Oh yeah, that great call, great, yeah. great call. That yeah, that, that that that's the right answer. Yes, that's the that is the correct right answer. You're right, absolutely. That is the right answer. Mm -hmm. And in fact, OJ didn't do this as an NFL player; he did it as an ex NFL player. So that would right. Get the same. Yes, right. No, and that's the same the, kind no, of, there, there, point no, of no. Hang on, there is no other answer. That is the perfect right answer. I agree. And the only element you're not getting there is the racial side of things, which made the the OJ thing. But again, right. I don't think you right. could replicate that in today's. It's not the no. same. No, no. Peyton Manning replicates it almost to a T. Uh, yeah. Great player. Hall of Fame. Um, uh, the goofy likable able to make fun of yes. himself. Everyone yes. likes him. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes. Yeah, that's there's no other answer. That's the, I, that is the dead right. Perfect answer. No pun intended so with too. the dead right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good place to leave it. Yes, indeed. Good stuff. Uh, that, was, that was a dark question, but it was kind of a fun it, one to play with. <laughs> I mean, we argued about it for hours over tech, so I knew it was a pretty good question. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of like doing that. But yes, your answer is clearly there, there is no other answer. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning for the win. All right. Appreciate it. We'll be back next week for Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition. edition.